right. Good morning. Good morning to everybody here in person and good morning to everybody watching online. I know you already hear it in my voice, so let me explain that before we get into the word. My voice just left me yesterday and um, I struggled to make it through Saturday night service. Um, We'll see how this morning goes. Um, Just bear with me and we'll pray. I I covet your prayers um, that my voice will hold up, but we'll pray that uh, no matter what, uh, that God's voice would be clear this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to start off by asking you, have you ever come across a person in need and you just really, really, really wanted to help them in any way you could? Some of you know that when I graduated college, out of college, I was involved in inner city ministry, and we were ministering to the homeless in downtown LA, and I remember during that time, it was Christmas morning. It was about 7.30 a.m. I woke up, and it was pouring rain outside. The wind was just howling against my window, and my first thought was, I need to get as many blankets and jackets that I could find around this house and I got to go out there to see if anybody could use it. So I, I just grab a bunch of jackets and blankets, jump in my car. I drive down to downtown LA, and I drive around MacArthur Park just to see if there's any homeless people who could use this. And I see this guy, and he's standing out in the rain. And so I park my car, and I go out. I meet him. The guy's name was Eddie. I say, Eddie, uh, would you like a jacket? I got some jackets. And he goes, that's okay. I'm good. I'm good. He says, what I could use are some socks. And I look down, and his shoes are soaked. There's holes in them. I go, Eddie, hold on. I'll be right back. And so I jump in my car, and I'm driving around downtown LA trying to find a shop that's open on Christmas morning. There's not a lot of shops open on Christmas morning, so I'm driving, I'm driving. Everything's closed. And then I see right there on Wilshire and Alvarado, there's an indoor swap meet, and I can look down the hall. I can see there's some stores open. So I hurry, I park my car next door, I run in, I try to find what's open, trying to see if there's any vendor with some socks, and lo and behold, I see this shop selling socks. And so so I pay a few bucks, get these socks, just within 10 minutes, I'm out of the swap meet, I go outside, and my car is gone. I got jacked, really God, like this is Christmas morning, I'm just trying to help somebody in need, and you get my car jacked, really? Well, it turns out I didn't get jacked. I got towed because I parked illegally at the uh, Yoshinoya next door. So my bad, God. Right? So, so I ended up having to pay a couple hundred bucks to get it back from the tow yard. But honestly, that Christmas morning, that was the last of my problems. It's like I was thinking about how on that rainy Christmas morning, there are people without homes. And I really, really wanted to help people like Eddie. I share that with you because it's December and Christmas is upon us. And this is the time of year where many of you are going to be the most giving and most generous people more than any other time of the year, especially to those in need. So we've been in this series called Who's My Neighbor? And we've been talking about loving our neighbors as ourselves. And I want to talk about loving our neighbors in need. And, And I recognize that I don't have to teach you or tell you to be giving or to be generous, because you are. Church, you are overwhelmingly so. 
just recently we, we, we shared with, with you about Pastor Igor and his wife Lena, how they're in Ukraine, they're about to face a very cold winter and they could use a heater for the building, $15,000. And then we told you the next week, you guys came way, you crushed it way over and beyond, multiple times over what was needed. So we said, please stop giving, no more is needed. And then you kept giving every week after that to the ministry in Ukraine. You just would not stop giving. That's how generous you are. You remind me of the Philippian church. The, the, the Philippians were known, they, they gave this monetary gift to this person in need. His name was the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Philippians in much part to give thanks for their gift that they gave him. And here's what he said to them in the first chapter, Philippians 1, 9 through 10. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Highlight that if you can, with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's not saying you need to be more loving. You need to be more generous. He says, no, 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 you are. But I just pray that your love would just keep growing more and more. And as it does, as you grow in generosity, that your knowledge and discernment would as well. So that your love would be excellent. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to encourage you. I know you're going to give. I know you're going to be generous to those in need. I pray you do so more and more. But as you do so that we would grow in our knowledge and discernment when we give. And so this morning, I want to give you four key thoughts to think about as we give to those in need, as we help our neighbors in need. Before we do that, let's pause and let's bow our heads and pray. And if you don't mind, I want to ask you, would you pray? Would you pray? Would you pray for this message? Would you pray for my voice? That whether or not it's clear or not, that the voice of God would be more clear than anything this morning. Okay, let's pray. Father God, when we are weak, you are strong. So speak to us, Lord, strongly this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So once upon a time, heavy rains ravaged a small village. And as the rains poured down, the river in that village began to rise. And it began to flood the village. And all the animals in the village began to scramble trying to find higher ground, to find sanctuary on higher ground. And this one particular monkey was able to find sanctuary in a tree. He climbed up and he perched up on a branch in a tree. And as that monkey waited for the waters to recede, he could see down into the water and he noticed an animal struggling. It was a fish under the water swimming up against the current. 
And it was clear and obvious to the monkey that that fish was suffering. He was struggling under the water. And so in the kindness and the goodness of his heart, the monkey resolved to do what he could to help the struggling fish. So he went out on a limb, literally a considerable risk to his own life, to, 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 to the point that he could fall into the water himself. He went out on a limb. He reached down and he snatched that fish out of the water. And he took the fish to a high hill so that he could let him find sanctuary there on dry ground. And that fish was so happy. He was flapping up and down and he was jumping up and down. He was so excited that he just got saved. And the, the, the monkey jumped back. He's like, wow, he's so excited that I saved his life. And that fish just kept flapping up and down, up and down for a long time until finally it came to a peaceful rest. And the monkey said, ah, oh, He's so tired from celebrating so much. He exhausted himself that he just now needs to sleep. And he's sleeping peacefully. And feeling so joyful and satisfied and accomplished inside, the monkey walked away and let the fish just rest in peace. He was excited that he just saved the fish's life. Last week, we had a training for the two mission teams that we're sending out in a couple weeks. And this parable was shared, this little story was shared to remind us that sometimes we can go to another people group, another community, another culture with really good intentions, with a really good heart to help, but actually end up hurting. Though we wanted to help, sometimes we end up hurting. Remember, a pastor told a story about how his church wanted to go into this, this community that was poverty-stricken. And so they thought, how can we bless them? So they came up with a great idea. Let's make a bunch of T-shirts, and let's print them all up, different colors, different designs, and we'll, we'll just bless the people there. So they made a bunch of shirts and, 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 and had them custom designed. They went into the community and handed, out, handed them out door by door to all the people in the community. What they didn't realize after they left feeling so good and so, so proud that they blessed these people and, and it was on their own dime. What the pastor realized was that there were three ladies in that village, that community, who made a living sewing clothes together and selling them to survive. And though their heart was good and their intentions were good, they were undermining the business of these three ladies who are just trying to make a living. See, you guys will always come across a person in need. You'll always come across a person in need. Maybe when you get off the freeway, right off that off-ramp, there's somebody holding a sign begging for help, and that pulls at your heart. Maybe you hear a pastor present an opportunity from this pulpit. Maybe there's someone in your life group who's fallen on hard times. And for so many of you, because of the generosity of your hearts, your first reaction is to want to help, to want to give in any way you can. You want to help that person in need. But sometimes as good as our intentions are, when we react and respond, sometimes we end up hurting more than we are helping. So I want to share four things with you to seek as we think about how we can seek to help the neighbor need. Okay, so if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, would you seek to relate? <clears throat> we seek to relate. 
relationship is probably the best way we can understand the person who's in need so that we can actually help them and not hurt them. First of all, we need to see that person as a person, as a person to love, not a project to complete. Let's start there. The people in need are people to love and not projects to complete. And as we love them and engage with them, we can understand what are their real needs. Man, if that monkey could just learn how to swim, if that monkey could learn how to speak fish, if that monkey could just swim alongside that fish underwater, maybe he would understand what that fish needed and what he didn't. Maybe he'd understand that fish actually thrive underwater. That is not uncommon to swim against current. Sometimes that's for their good. That's for their livelihood. If he could speak fish. And I want to say to you, if, if at all possible, and it's not always going to be possible, but if at all possible, seek to build a relationship with the one that you're trying to help. During that time when I met that man, Eddie, in downtown L.A., I was serving with a ministry called Center for Student Missions, CSM. And uh, my job was I would host church groups that would come in and do inner city mission trips to downtown. And on the weekends, I would take them around Skid Row and L.A. to show them different ways to serve the city. And one thing I would do on that Saturday morning is I would take them to Skid Row and I would send them out two by two. And I tell them for the next three hours, just go, the two of you, and find somebody to talk to, get to know them, hear their story, build a friendship, take them out for a meal, treat them to a meal. And so go, right? I send them out. And that one particular morning, they went out two by two. And so I'm by myself for the next three hours. So I myself, I walk over to Pershing Square in downtown LA. Pershing Square has some grass and some benches. And so I sit down and as I'm going there, I'm praying. Because to be honest, like it's, it's hard for me to just talk to random strangers about Jesus. That's not something I do often. And so I'm just praying, God, give me courage, give me the words, right? And so I go to Pershing Square, I sit down on this bench and not too far from me, is this guy just sitting there, and we start talking. And we start engaging in conversation, and we're talking about all sorts of things, all like random stuff. And then I could tell that he's a movie buff, because right when we start talking about movies, his face lights up. And he just starts going off about all his favorite movies. I, I love this movie and that movie, and who acted in them, and, and, and what's it about. And to be honest, I'm not a movie guy. You guys, my wife, every time I watch a movie, I just fall asleep right away. I, I just can't stand it. I, I mean, I can't hang. I love movies, but I just can't stay awake through them, right? So I don't know a lot about them. And he's just going on. I have no idea what he's talking about. And then after he finishes talking, I'm listening the whole time. He turns to me and he says, how about you? What's your favorite movie? And I'm telling you, I don't know a lot about movies, but just so happened that two weeks before that weekend, my church, we went as a group to watch The Passion. Remember that movie, The Passion of the Christ? And he goes, how about you? What, what, what's your favorite movie? I'm like, I don't, I don't have a lot of movies that I love, but I just happened to watch The Passion of the Christ. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that movie, the one with Mel Gibson. I said, yeah, 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 that, that one. He's, and then he goes like this, he goes, What's it about? I'm like, 
<laughs> right? Like, ah, oh, God, I see what you're doing here. So I tell them what the movie is about. It's about this guy named Jesus. He's the son of God. And it's actually a true story, David. It's, it's a true story. And so I, I talk about how Jesus came from heaven to earth. He had compassion and care for everyone he came across. And I told him this whole story, and then I spoiled it for him. I spoiled it. I said, at the end, the guy dies. Jesus, the main character, he dies. True story. And then I explained to him why he had to die. I said, it's for sinners like me and, and, and for you. And it was amazing. I got to share the gospel to him by talking about the passion of the Christ. We talked for over an hour. And I'm, I'm telling you, he was, he was just enjoying this time that at the end of the conversation, he says to me, Right, because you know, like I, I saw him. I you know I couldn't tell if he was homeless or not. His clothes were like you know, kind of shabby, but not too shabby. So it could have gone either way. I didn't know his situation. But after about an hour, he says to me, he says, he says, Greg, can I treat you to lunch? He's like, can I take you to lunch? I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm here to feed you. Like, I'm here to feed the homeless. Like, and so I'm like, no, no, that's okay. He's like, no, 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 please let me, let me treat you to lunch. I'm like, that's okay. He says, look, that would be disrespectful if you don't let me take you to lunch. He says, you would rob me of honor. He's like, I've appreciated this, this conversation and this morning so much. You've given me so much. I have to treat you to lunch. And so I'm like, all right, all right, all right, let's go to lunch, right? And in my mind, I'm, he's a Hispanic guy. So I'm thinking, he probably knows the best taco joints in L.A. I'm like, let's go to lunch. He goes, oh, I want to take you to my favorite place. He's like, have you ever been to Yoshinoya? <laughs> I'm like, been there, right? Been jacked there, actually. And so we go to Yoshinoya, and we just enjoyed this conversation. And he just kept thanking me over and over again. Thank you for just sharing this morning with me and just talking to me. See, I thought I was there to feed him. He fed me. I thought what he needed was money and some food. What I learned was he needed companionship. He was looking for relationship. But I wouldn't have known that if I didn't spend the time to engage and relate with him. I think about Matthew chapter 8, and there's two stories back to back in Matthew chapter 8, fascinating stories. One story is where the centurion soldier has a servant that he loves who's dying. He's back at home in his deathbed. And so the centurion looks for Jesus. He tracks him down, and he says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, please come and heal my servant. In fact, just say the word. You're a man of authority, Jesus. Just say the word, and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus, right in that spot, in a remote place, he doesn't even see where the servant is. He says he is healed by the command of his voice. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 8, and at that moment, the servant was healed. That's fascinating. Why? Because it tells us that Jesus is so powerful that he can heal by the command of his voice, by his will. He doesn't have to even be in the same room. He can heal. That's fascinating. Why else is that fascinating? Because the other story in Matthew 8, right next to it, is the story of a man who has leprosy, one of the worst diseases in that day. If you had leprosy, you were marginalized, you were outcasted. In fact, the law said if you had leprosy, you would have to yell from afar if you saw someone coming anywhere near you, unclean, 
unclean, to let them know, I'm dirty, I'm unclean, I'm diseased, do not come near. And the law said that you would have to live alone in isolation. You had to. And so Jesus comes across this man who has leprosy. What does Jesus do? Look what, Luke, what Matthew tells us. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, it says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus check this out, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. That's fascinating. Why? Because we know that Jesus has the power to heal remotely. We know Jesus can heal from a distance by the power of his voice. That's who Jesus is. And yet Jesus comes to, up to this man and he touches him. He lays his hand on him. Why? Because Jesus knows that this man has many needs. Not just the need to be healed. That's one of them. But Jesus is addressing the relational poverty that this man has suffered his whole life. In isolation, Jesus was meeting multiple needs. So when you help a person in need, do you know what they really need? And because we're not Jesus, we may never know until we engage and relate with the person in need. Let's get to know the person and build a relationship. And when you seek to help a neighbor in need, seek to relate. That's the first thing I want to encourage you with. Number two, as you seek to relate with them, perhaps you're going to find out that what they need is relief. So write this down, number two, seek to relieve. Seek to relieve. Maybe that's what they need. Now, what's relief? Relief is a temporary, immediate response to a current crisis. It's what you do right away to deal with a current crisis. It's not meant to fix a larger long-term problem. It provides immediate relief, right? And some people can see relief as just putting a Band-Aid on the, on the problem. It's a Band-Aid solution. But the reality is sometimes a Band-Aid is what is needed. That's what's needed sometimes. Remember when we kicked off the series, the question was asked, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered that question by telling us a story of the Good Samaritan. And we took a deep dive into that story. And in that story, Jesus tells of a Jewish man who was beaten and robbed. He was left bloodied and, and half dead on the road. And then along comes a Samaritan guy, a Good Samaritan. And he sees this current crisis. Here's a man bloody and bruised. He's half dead. And so what does the Samaritan do? Let me take you back to that story, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 and 34 says this. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What did he do? He went to him and bound up his wounds. He put a bandage on the wounds. 
and pouring on him oil and wine. Oil was a soothe and wine was an antiseptic. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And so what happens is he sees a neighbor in crisis and he bandages his wounds. He cares for him in that moment. He provides relief because sometimes relief is what is needed in that moment. In a couple weeks, on December 13th, a team of us will be going to Fort Myers, Florida. Now, Florida gets a lot of hurricanes. But when Hurricane Ian hit in October, just recently, that was the hardest hitting hurricane in Florida since 1935. I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but it costed over $50 billion of damage. That's how powerful this hurricane was. And so our team that's going, we're going not with the intention of making up that $50 billion debt. We're trying to build off of that. No, we're just trying to provide some relief to a homeowner. Hopefully two, maybe three. But we're going to do what we can to clear out some mud, to clean up some debris, to cut down some trees. Whatever the homeowner needs to relieve them so that they can begin to rebuild their homes and their lives. We're just going to provide some relief because sometimes that's what people are desperately needing. When I was hit with COVID uh, last, early, earlier this past year, um, someone in the church found out that, that I, had, I was at home with COVID. And, and so she comes to our house and she ding-dong ditches us. She comes up to our door, she rings the doorbell and, and she runs off. Didn't even see her. But what she did was she left a bag. And she left some instructions. She says, look, Pastor Gray, okay, take this much of this, and then 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 take some of these, and you'll be okay. I'm like, what in the world? Right? Like, she said, so I take this much of this, and 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 some of this. And I'm telling you, like, the next day, like day and a half, all my symptoms were relieved. Like, I was still testing positive for another 10 days, but my symptoms were relieved. She was relieving the current crisis in that moment. So if any of you guys have COVID, I got you, all right? I think I did you. Let me know. I'll be at your house. But sometimes relief is what a person needs. There will always be someone in your life in every season who's going to be hit with some kind of issue and needs relief. Maybe a friend loses a job and can't make rent. Maybe a life group member gets into a car crash and doesn't have money to pay that off. Maybe you have a family member who has emergency surgery and has a hard time paying off the bills. Maybe you meet a homeless guy who needs some socks. Right when I met Eddie in downtown LA, those socks were the relief that he needed in that crisis of coldness. He had cold feet doesn't solve the problem of homelessness in his life. But it sure did warm up his feet. And that's what he needed on that day. Sometimes immediate temporary relief is what is needed to put a bandage on the wound. To put a band-aid on the issue. It may not serve a long-term problem, but sometimes it could be really, really helpful. So seek to relieve, but with that being said... If all we ever do is just keep putting Band-Aids on wounds 
and keep coming up with band-aid solutions, we may never truly see a person restored. We may never see a wound truly healed or need fully met. And so number three, write this down. Besides seeking to relate and seeking to relieve, seek to restore. Seek to restore. What's the difference? Well, restoration is the long-term permanent rebuilding of brokenness that's been experienced. Relief is temporary and immediate. Restoration is long-term, and we're hoping for permanence. After the Good Samaritan saw this crisis and he put Band-Aids on the guy's wounds, he put him up in a hotel, in an inn. But that man had to go. He had to go. But what happened after he left? Look what he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 35. It says, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He says, here's my intention. I'm going to keep on giving where I can, and I intend to come back. His intention was to come to not just relieve him, but to come and see this man through. He had long-term restoration in mind. I want to encourage you, we're wherever possible, and it's not always possible, but if at all possible, ask how can we come alongside this person in need and help with long-term restoration? And God, do I have a role in that at all? I love that when our team goes to Florida for the first time on this relief trip, when we go to relieve those who've been hit by Hurricane Ian that same week, we have another team going back up to Paradise, California. They're going back to Northern California, Paradise, where we've gone to help build homes for those hit by the Paradise Fire. And what they're doing is just that. They are returning to this community in hopes to see this community truly rebuilt. That's restoration. See, because the reality is when disaster strikes, when hurricanes hit, when earthquakes destroy, the world is tuned in, right? Like everybody's knowing about it, reading about it, watching it, at least for a good few days. But what happens? The world turns. And as the world turns, and as the news crews leave for the next hot story, we want to be sure that the people of God are still there. We want to be sure that the church, the representatives of Christ, haven't gone anywhere until restoration happens. I love that when our team goes to Paradise, California, we're working with a ministry called EFCA. They're committed to being there for the next 10 years to help this community rebuild. That's what we ought to be seeking. Seek not just to relieve, but seek to restore. Like the Good Samaritan, it is good to go back and to see them through. We can give all day long, put Band-Aids on all day long, but are we walking with people to see them restored in the power of Christ? I love that as Pastor Dan was announcing these glow gifts that we've been announcing for the past few weeks, what is that all about? Well, that's our efforts to go back to this community in Mexico, right? So many of you guys have gone on these Baja Mexico trips to help build homes. Praise God for you. 
But we, we want to be people who don't just go in and then come out. And what Pastor Dan has been really good about helping our church do is let's, let's build long-term relationships. Let's invest in these people we're helping. And so, so Glow Gifts are about going back to that same community in Mexico. Right, the Baja education program, not only are we going to build homes for kids to live in, but we're going to help, and some of you have already contributed to the education fund. Because we want to see kids not just in homes, but we want to see kids educated so that they can grow up and get good paying jobs so they can pour back into their community. Some of you guys have been donating to that van. There's a ministry in Monero that community that is committed to outreach and education. And so you giving to that van helps us partner with a ministry that is there and will always be there. That's restoration. How can we seek to restore? And you've heard us say it before, and maybe it's cliche at this point, but I'm gonna say it again. We don't wanna just enable people, right? We wanna empower people. We don't want to just give handouts all day. We want to give people a hand up to get them on their feet so that they can start walking on their own and then begin helping other people in need. And so when we give relief, which is a good thing, the question we ask is, what do you need? And we try to meet that need. But when we want to seek restoration, when we want to restore, we should start asking the question, not what do you need, but we should start asking, now what do you have? And help them to see with dignity that God has blessed them. God has given them abilities and talents and experience and passions and family members and resources. What do you have? And let's start working with what God has given you already and let's see if we can rebuild from there. Right? I love that when I um, went back to downtown LA to look for Eddie, because I went multiple times after that Christmas day, I would find him in the same spot at MacArthur Park. And I would build this relationship with him. And it got to a point where he trusted me and he gave me the phone numbers to his sisters. He says, Greg, would you, would you call my sisters and would you just tell them you met me and would you tell them I'm alive and I'm okay? Tell them I'll be home one day. And so I took him up on that. That day, I went home, called both of his sisters. And both of them were just in tears, just crying. Just at the news that their brother's still alive. And I remember when I was talking to his older sister, she just kept saying to me, I, I can't understand why he's doing this to himself. She says, if you know Eddie, he's a genius. Eddie is brilliant. And I learned from her, he not only has a college degree, but he has a master's degree. He's a career man. I don't understand why he won't just come back. Right, and she just kept telling me all that he has, and I was shocked. Because a lot of times, I just judge a person who ends up on the street who's homeless. I have my stereotypes in my head. But as I'm building this relationship, I'm realizing, man, Eddie has so much. He has so much that God has given him. I love that in this church, there's this life group, right? This life group who every Christmas, instead of spending money on themselves and doing uh, gift exchanges and buying each other gifts, they decide that every Christmas, they'll take that money, they'll pull it together, and they'll ask who in the church is in need. Who can we bless, 
right? And so they, every year they, they've asked me, is there anybody in need? And I just learned recently that there's this sister in this church who reached out for prayer. And she wasn't asking for any help. She was just saying, would you just pray that I could find a second job? Because she's like, with just this one job I have, I can't stay afloat. I've been hit with all these payments unexpectedly, and I'm so scared that if I don't find a second job, I'm going to end up on the streets. So she's just asking for prayer. And so I take this request from this life group, who can we bless? I take her situation, and I'm able to connect them. And so they're able to bless the sister with this gift, which is such a relief. What a relief. Right, I'm sure it's going to help relieve her through this holiday season. That's awesome. Praise God for the generous hearts of this giving life group. But the reality is those funds are going to run out. They're not going to sustain her. And this life group can't keep giving money to this sister over and over again. She needs a second job. And so I asked her, simple question. I said, what job are you looking for? What kind of job are you looking for? She, she responds to me, and I love it. She gives me this very thorough response, more than I expected to get. But she says, oh, man, here's, here's my hours. After my first job, I have these hours on these days. And then she says, and, and this is what I've done in the past. I've worked in the kitchen. I've worked this job. I've worked that job. And then she says, I love kids. I love working with kids. I haven't been certified to do CPR, but, but I love kids. And then she says, I love animals, all kinds of animals, except, and very clearly she said, except sharks, spiders, and snakes, triple S. But, but other than that, I love animals. And so she's telling me all these things about her. What is she telling me? She's telling me what she has. She's saying, I have time. Here's my schedule. She's saying, I have experience. Here's what I've done. She's saying, I have passions. This is what I love to do. And what I love about that is she's not sitting there saying, this is what I need. This is what you can give me. She's saying, this is what I have. Here's what I can give. And it's like, that's a lot to go on. Let's start working together to see how the Lord can provide. Let's see how the Lord can start restoring you from these needs. And so we seek not just to relieve, we seek to restore. Sometimes if all we do is just give to people every time they ask, keep putting Band-Aids on wounds, sometimes we could end up hurting and not helping because we're enabling and not empowering. And so let's prayerfully ask God for wisdom and discernment in our giving. How can we not only give to relieve, which is good, but how can we also give to restore? After that time, I uh, was talking to Eddie's sister on the phone, and she's just telling me over and over again, I, I just don't understand why he won't come home. He has a home here. We have a room for him. We keep telling him to come home, but he won't come home. And I learned from that conversation over time that the implication was he's unwilling to come back because of the addiction that he's caught in. It's the addiction that's keeping him on the streets. I'm sad to say that after that phone call with his sister, I never saw Eddie again. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know where he is today. 
I've gone back out to MacArthur Park. I've looked for him. I hope he went home. I don't know. But I've looked for him. I've never been able to see him again. And I really, really can't tell you where he is today. But I'll tell you this. I really, really, really wanted to help him. Like, I really wanted to help Eddie. I really wanted to see him off off of the streets. I wanted to save him from the streets. Providing socks for Eddie provided warmth to his feet that day, but I realized that wasn't going to resolve the issue of homelessness. That was going to break the bond of addiction. And as much as I wanted to save Eddie, it breaks my heart that I couldn't. And it breaks my heart that I didn't. I want to encourage you with one more thing as we close. One more thing. Seek to reconcile. Would you write this down? This is the last thing I want to share with you. As you seek to relieve and seek to restore, seek to reconcile. The ultimate restoration that we can help anybody experience, the ultimate restoration is to help them experience reconciliation with God. To help them experience reconciliation with God. To reconcile means to make right that which is wrong. To repair that which is broken. And only Jesus can reconcile and rescue. Only Jesus can meet one's deepest needs. Let me, let me ask you this in reflection. As you think about Christmas, it's upon us. And I hope you're thinking about Christmas. But let me ask you this. Why did Jesus have to be born? Why did Jesus have to come from heaven to earth? Why? And you're probably thinking, so that he could die and save us from our sins so that we can have eternal life. Correct. That's correct. But not complete. That's at the core of why Jesus came. But there's so much more to this kingdom that Jesus wants to bring from heaven to earth. According to the biblical plan, there is so much more than, than that. We, we start there. But when Luke tells us that Jesus was born, Jesus grows up and Luke tells us the first thing he did when he started his ministry, the first thing he did, what did he do? Jesus went into this synagogue in Nazareth. And when we got to visit a synagogue in Nazareth this past Israel trip, that was probably one of the most powerful moments for me as we recalled this story in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus begins the ministry, it says that he goes up to the podium and he unrolls the scroll from Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet hundreds and hundreds of years before prophesying what the Messiah would come to do. What did the Messiah come to do? Here's what Jesus read to the people in the synagogue, Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19. He says to the people, according to Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to sit at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And after reading Isaiah, he rolls the scroll back up as if there's this symbol of completion. And he says a couple verses later in verse 21, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everything the prophets prophesied of the coming Savior, of the coming Messiah, everything Isaiah said, I am here. I am the Messiah. I bring hope to the poor. I give sight to the blind. I make the lame walk. I liberate the oppressed. I bind up the brokenhearted. I heal all wounds. I save the sinner. I redeem the soul. Everything Isaiah said about Emmanuel, about our Prince of Peace, Almighty God, our counselor, Jesus saying, today I fulfill it for I am he. I am. So understand that Jesus came not only to save us from sin, but to save us from everything that's been broken by sin, every need, every financial need, material need, physical need, spiritual poverty, relational poverty, emotional poverty, every kind of poverty, he has come to redeem and restore. All that's been broken by sin. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20, he says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, what does that mean? Who are we? We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. What does this remind us of? It reminds us that it is Christ who reconciles. It is Jesus who saves. It is God who makes right all that sin has made wrong. And we are merely ministers of reconciliation. We are ministers of reconciliation. That means when we help the neighbor in need, we have to remember that we serve Jesus saves. We simply serve with all that we can and all that we have, but it is Jesus who saves. As much as I wanted to save Eddie, as much as I wanted to rescue Eddie, I have to remember I am only a servant. Jesus is his savior. And so as you give, as you offer help, as you express generosity, I pray you continually do. The goal of our giving, the hope in your helping, the reason you relate, the, re the reason you relieve, the reason you restore is what? To bring them closer to the one who reconciles. It's to bring them to Jesus, the one who makes all that is wrong Right, who repairs all that is broken. His name is, help me out, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. We serve, we trust Jesus to save. Amen? Amen, let's bow our heads together.
Father God, I just thank you so much for the overwhelming generosity of your people. God, it tells me that they get it. They got it, your gospel, they got it. You're abundant and amazing in your grace. I just see expressions of people responding to that grace and wanting to pour it out, to pay it forward, to show people the generosity of our God. Thank you for that. And I just pray that as we continue to love more and more, just like the Philippian church, God, that we would grow in our knowledge and discernment, that we would give and help our neighbors in need with great intentionality, not only with good intentions, but a good knowledge of how we can truly bring Christ to them and see redemption and restoration happen. So help us, God. Help us to grow as the beautiful representation of Christ, to continue to be open hands, the open hands of Jesus, to be the active feet of Christ, helping people truly see the healing that Christ wants to bring to every heart and every soul and every life. Thank you, God. We worship you. We worship Jesus, the one who came from heaven to earth. He stepped down into darkness to be light and to heal all that has been broken in darkness. Here we are, God, to worship you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.